Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Black History Month, and we at the Neuro Nerds are celebrating by bringing back our Amplify Black Voices series featuring black stroke and brain injury survivors throughout the month of February. Our first guest is Tymeek Hawkins, a stroke survivor from Philadelphia. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Lauren. And we are the, the Neuro Nerds. Yes, that was on time. I feel pretty good about that. Welcome to the Neuro Nerds. Say it every week, mean it every week. Very special episode. I've got a very special guest, a dude. I say this to say I don't have a lot of stroke survivor dude friends. Guys don't necessarily really like to talk, so that's why 90% of the people I talk to are women. This is one of the coolest dudes in the world. I'd like to welcome to the show, Ty. What's up, Ty? How you doing? What's going on, Joe? Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, thank you for, for being here. Also, thank you for being a dude and being willing to talk and actually share how you're feeling and how your recovery is going. <laughs> I, I think that's uh, uh, this is why I choose to do so, because I did notice that there's not a lot of guys that are willing and open to talk about the journey and the experience to be vulnerable. Right. Yeah. It's You know what? I think that's that old school machismo man way of thinking. To be completely honest, I think if you're in touch and open with your emotions, I think that takes a certain amount of masculinity, you know? It takes, like, a real man to cry. Not that you should be whining and sobbing over everything, but, you know, I think being in touch with who you are is a big deal as a man. I agree. I definitely agree. I think being in touch, at least I know growing up in the community I grew up in, you were taught to be tough. Tough wasn't showing emotion and things like that. So, for me... um, I guess I go against the grain in that respect uh, because me, I'm emotional. Well, not very emotional, but I'm in touch with my emotions. So it's easy to talk. Um, I'm a Libra and I like to just talk by nature. I'm friendly, free spirit, like I say. Hey, like me, you're a modern day hippie. It's perfect. So you are a stroke survivor. You are also black man. I just want to point that out if you weren't aware. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, I am. <laughs> I specifically say that because this episode is going to be the first episode out in February, which just so happens to be Black History Month, which is a great deal. So I want to celebrate my black brothers and sisters on this amazing of months. So I would like to dive into your story, side. Tell us about your stroke. On June 5th of 2019, so almost two years ago, I'm coming up on the two-year mark. So June 5th of 2019, I had a hemorrhagic stroke at the brainstem which uh, the, the source of that was I was born with a what's called a cavernous malformation or cavernoma for short. Um, and they seem to be hereditary down the male side of my family. My uncle has one. My younger brother has one. 
Uh, on that day, so June 5th, it started out like any normal day, woke up ready to attack the day. I actually had an engagement photo shoot with my wife that day. It started out normal, like I said, got ready, got dressed, and uh, I needed to go to the bank to get some cash for a haircut. So the bank is right across the street, five-minute drive. Get to the bank, take cash out, go to drive home. On my way home, I just start to feel just strange. So I know for, for weeks, like when I look back at it now, for weeks I had symptoms that were showing me. I would, I would have like headaches that I just brushed off. I was overworking myself. I was off balance. I, I attributed it to vertigo. So um, on my way back, what really scared me was my vision started to go go blurry, very like rapid, and I was really off balance. So I decided to Uber to the barbershop to get my haircut because I just didn't feel safe driving. So I went Uber back home, and I get in the house, and my wife asked me, she said, are you all right? Because um, I was like, yeah, I'm fine, you know, just a little tired, but I'm, I'm all right. Why you ask? And she said, because your face, you know, it's something off about your face. And I'm, I go look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, nothing wrong. I don't see anything major. So we go to our photo shoot. She was about 45 minute drive. She drives and This is sign number two. Something is serious because I usually do all the driving because I like to drive. So. We get there, we go to take our shoe. And I, I'm just pushing myself through the pictures, like really using her to, to balance myself and just pushing through. So we complete the shoot. The pictures come out great. But now when I look back at the pictures, like I can look in my face and say, oh, my God, I was, something was really wrong. And so we go home. Is actually a hospital right down the street from where we, where our photo shoot was at our uh, at our college where we both graduated from. So she asked me that I want to go, and I said, you know what? If I we'll go home, I'll get something to eat. I'll lay down, and if I wake up and I don't feel well, still, then we go to the hospital. So that's exactly what happened. We went home. She ordered food, went to pick it up. I took two bites. I went to sleep for I want to say about four or five hours, maybe. Now I had this is where it gets crazy. I had a dream, and so I'm out cold. And I, I, I in this dream, I, it's just a figure that appears, and it's just like a, a powerful voice that asked me, "Did I trust it?" And I said, "Absolutely." He said, "Okay, son. Well, we have to go." And I instantly woke up from my sleep and tapped my wife and said, "We have to go." So. In my mind, because I'm a spiritual person, I felt that figure was God telling me that I needed to go to a hospital. You had a guardian angel in your dream. I did. So my wife gets up, gets ready. So I remember not trying to slow her down. So I went out the house first while she was still getting ready. So I scaled the side of the house to keep balance to get to the car. So I get in the car, 15 minute drive to the hospital. So I'm thinking, you know, emergency room, I'm going to be sitting there for hours. So I go in, tell the lady what my symptoms were, and they immediately took me to the back, ran some tests, and and I knew something was really wrong because the nurse was going to run, and she said, I'm going to run an IV. So I said, okay. So I look around, I look around, and I ask her, when is she going to run an IV? She said, it's done already. And I didn't feel anything in my left arm, so she had already stuck me. Uh, with that to run the IV. So I knew something. That's when I started to get a little worried. But because of my dream, I stayed composed. So then they immediately took me down for a CAT scan and a chest X-ray. Chest X-ray came back clear. So they put me in the room. Uh, you hear this beeping, buzzing of, of course, a hospital. And I was able to stay calm and stay collected. And then the doctor comes in and says, just go straight to it. No, no, hey, you know. So your results are we found a mass on your brain. So I look at my wife and I'm like, oh man, I'm so calm. So as that's happening simultaneously, that figure that I seen that I, I visualized in the dream, it was in the corner of my hospital room. And it said, Hey, remember what I told you? I have you covered. So I look at my wife and I tell her I'm gonna be fine. I couldn't explain it because, of course, you know, I wasn't myself in that mo- in those moments, but I was coherent enough to let her know I was going to be fine because I could see that, you know, she was just distraught. So I tell her to call my mom. And so she calls. 
tries to get a hold of my mom, my brother. This is about two, three in the morning. Finally get a hold of my dad. And my dad goes and tells my mom and gets, they are on the first thing smoking to New Jersey. So they get there, it's about an hour and a half. And then, so they come in there pressing the doctor about an MRI. So what they did when they saw the mass or they said they saw a mass because of the bleeding, they gave me a steroid that, uh, and as soon as the doctor asked, like, have you felt nauseous? I instantly got sick. The steroid was so powerful to reduce the swelling. So when my parents came, they, uh, you know, got on the doctors and the nurses about getting me down for x-ray. I mean, not an x-ray, an MRI. And you know how loud MRIs can be. I remember them taking me down and I actually fell asleep the first, my first ever MRI because I was so out of it. I just remember like slight banging, but the test results came back. I'm back in the room and it's kind of, it's a familiar, a familiar um, diagnosis as far as they come in. They say, well, we discovered that it was a rupture of the cavernous malformation. So kind of brought a little bit of ease because we were familiar with cavernous malformations because my brother suffered a bleed on his brain when he was four, which caused him to have epilepsy. So it kind of eased things a little bit, and we we understood what, what happened, and we were familiar. So I avoided surgery uh, because they said a tablespoon of blood that leaked onto my brain. So it was gradu- essentially like a slow leak, which is why I felt symptoms gradually, progressively get worse. They just administered the steroid and a uh, Pepsi, which was uh, something for my, my stomach. I was there for about a week, and then I moved from the hospital uh, about June 12th. Then I was transported to an acute inpatient rehab facility because by that point, it got worse before it got better. I was bedridden for that week in the hospital, so I didn't know I couldn't walk or anything like that until they uh, took me for testing to see if I could go home or I needed to go to a facility. So I needed to use a walker to get to the testing room. And I'm like, what is going on? I I walked in here. I know I was off balance, but it was crazy. So uh, they deemed I needed to go there and it just got progressively worse. My vision, I couldn't, it just got blurry. So it was a little scary, but because of my dream and everything, my visions just stayed positive. I knew my vision would come back. I knew I would be able to walk. I just had to have a positive mindset in order because I'm a believer that the body follows the mind. If I can control my mind, then my body follows. So the first night was in the facility was like my biggest test. So I remember my mom stayed and I forgot that I was not home. So I tried to get up out of bed and she was like, what are you doing? I said, I just got to do this. I just kept repeating. I just have to do this. And she was like, do what? And I don't even remember saying I just have to do this. But she was like, just have to do what? And I was like, I just have to stand up. And because I couldn't get up on my own power. So I finally was able to get myself upright and stand up for a couple of seconds. And then she asked me, are you, you know, are you good now? I was like, yes, I did it. So. I knew from that moment, it couldn't get any harder in my mind. So from that night, I was just ready to attack therapy. I was there for three weeks with physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Because what happened was I lost the functions of the right side of my face, and then the right side of my body was numb. I could move it, but I couldn't feel, and then I had no sense of space. So if I closed my eyes, I would just tilt and fall over. My body was so guarded that when I first started to walk, my head would just stay like turned to the right because of I think the nerves in my neck were just contracting because that's where like I feel the nerve issues start. So I would just stay locked in. I had to go through vigorous therapy to really regain it all. Thank you to our amazing community on Patreon for supporting this podcast. You can support us too and get different perks and gifts depending on which Neuro Jedi tier you sign up for. For example, if you're on our Neuro Padawan $5 tier, then you're probably listening to this episode a day early before it's public release. Your support helps us grow and continue to create this podcast. Plus, a portion of the proceeds go to a different cause or individual in the brain injury survivor community each month. Sign up at patreon.com slash the neuronerds.
hey, and you attacked that therapy because I've seen videos, I've seen photos. You were killing it, absolutely destroying therapy. And so you and I, we had the same type of stroke. We both had hemorrhagic strokes. We're a very tiny percentage. Like the mortality rate for hemorrhagic strokes is unreal. We are one in four. The fact that you and I are as functional as you and I are, we're miracles. We are. I'll definitely agree because after I started doing my research, they have what's called for our kind of strokes, they have what's called the power hour where you should be treated within that first hour. The longer you wait, the more likely it is you won't recover or have major deficits. And like I said, I went home and went to sleep for about six hours and to be able to to be back where I am, I, you know, I'm just grateful and I definitely know it's a miracle. I've been told by people in, in the, the neuro field that I am a walking, talking miracle because this should not be. I mean, it's not to say that I don't have issues. You know, I have short term memory loss. I get tremors in my right hand when my hand exhausts. But aside of that, like I'm kind of killing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it shouldn't be the same with you. Look, I've, I've seen you hit the court again. You know, that's impressive. Also, the fact let me ask you a question. Did you know what a stroke was before you had your stroke? No. Okay. Say, same here. I know you had at least an understanding with your brother you know, and the, and the, the malformations, but I didn't know what a stroke was until I had my stroke. I honestly thought a stroke was a heart attack. I was like, oh, people, they have strokes. It's like a heart attack. It's like, okay, I didn't know it was the brain. It was a heart attack for the brain. Basically. That is, is crazy. I I'm just, let me ask you a question about your vision. Do you have any idea what that entity was? Do you absolutely believe, do you believe it was a guardian angel? Do you believe it was God? Do you believe it was maybe, you know, a, a relative looking out for you? If I had to pick two, I would say for me, it was God. And then my grandmother, she passed in 2011. In 2011, she passed away. She battled with hepatitis and uh, she needed transplants for her liver and kidneys. And she got the liver transplant, but her organs started to fail. I feel that she comes back to visit me from time to time. So it was God that was came to me in a dream, but I know that my grandmother was watching over me. Oh, that's beautiful. That's amazing. And even just the fact that you had that calm. Honestly, if I would have seen a figure and a figure was talking to me, probably would have freaked out. I probably legit would have had a heart attack. So you remember a lot of your stroke. You remember a lot of like going to the hospital and maybe have five, 10% memory of my first two to three months. I don't have very much memory from the hospital at all. Those are my deficits there. So that that's kind of a bummer. But I love your mindset. Have you always had that mindset of be calm, be at one, be positive and attack? Yeah, I have. Um, you know, I learned it through through sports and just growing up where I did in the inner city of like Philadelphia. So Wait, was it West Philadelphia? Were you born and raised on the playground? Is that where you spend most of your days? Exactly. I actually <laughs> grew up right across the street from the high school that Will Smith went to and him and my, him and my, my parents, they were, they knew of each other. They were in similar classes or something my mom would always tell me. So she knew of like Will Smith's sister and things of that nature. So yeah, West Philadelphia born and raised. I think I've always been that kind of person, just easygoing. I'm not a person of conflict. Uh, it kind of ruffles my feathers, you know, conflict and if my day, you know, I just try to keep things as smooth as possible. So I'm easygoing. And, you know, I learned through basketball that things aren't always going to go your way. And so work hard. So in high school, you know, I wasn't handed anything I had to earn to be on the court. My coach was when I in the moments in high school and college, I would say my coaches were being hard on me. But it was something looking back in retrospect is what I needed to help develop me you know, to the man that I am. So I can appreciate that. So I always look for the good in any situation. That's amazing. And that's what I love about basketball. You know, it's literally, it's it's the bounce of the ball. Could go this way, could go that way. You know, you're prepared almost for anything. I'm blown away at your recovery and also your attitude during recovery. At any point during your recovery where you're like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, there were days where, you know, I'd be lying to say that it was days where I didn't feel like getting up and as days I wake up, I don't feel like doing this today. But then I look around because if I didn't have people there, I think I could have easily just said, all right, well, I just want to lay here. I don't feel like doing anything because there was some days that I, that I was tired. You know, the fatigue set in. I was just 
you know, I would think like, man, just a couple of weeks ago, I was just walking and playing basketball. And here I am fighting for my life and fighting to regain things that I took for granted, you know, to be able to tie my shoes, to be able to brush my teeth and to shower on my own. And, um, you know, I so saw I look around. I will always look around the room. To my, either my mom was there or my wife was there. So one of the two, they rotated, uh, you know, they rotated shifts, essentially. That's awesome. And your wife, what a queen. By the way, what a beautiful woman. Amazing, beautiful woman. You guys have been together forever, correct? Yeah, we've been together since uh, 2013. We were essentially college sweethearts. We met at college. We both played basketball. And uh, here we are. Uh, Real life loving basketball. What is going on? That's awesome. (laughs) So she's a baller, too. Yeah, she's a baller. She actually won a national, like, she won it all. She won a national championship, I want to say 2014. If the year is wrong, I'm blaming it on my brain injury. You know what? We had these brain injuries, so we could pull that card at any point. Now, so, who's a better basketball player? You or her? We played two different positions. I'm a guard. She was a, she was a center. So, her strengths are at post. My strengths are on the perimeter. So it kind of depends on what kind of game we're playing. If it's like a game that's down low in the post, then I give it to her hands down. But if she has to chase me around on the perimeter, I'm winning 10 times out of 10. This is what you say, you know, as in the game of life, the wife always wins. Always. No matter what it is, she wins. So we're going to shift a little bit from your stroke to the state of the world, right? So we came off a very difficult, turbulent year in 2020. It was very hard, and it opened a lot of people's eyes with a lot of horrific things that have happened in the black community. The Black Lives Matter movement started because of the horrific things that were happening and what happened to George Floyd, and then people were like, wait a minute, cops are beating black people up? It's like, yeah, this has been going on forever. None of this is new, you know? Being a young black man, okay, how difficult has it been just getting through life. Do you have any specific incidents that you were just like, wow, this just shouldn't happen to me? If I was a different color, this just would not have happened to me. Yeah, I've had some experiences like like that throughout life. And then one that stands out, you know, growing up in this inner city, I have to worry about, um, you know, I'm always worried about my safety and my brother's safety. And uh, we, we've had things like that happen throughout throughout Philadelphia even we, there was recently a guy, based on the story, you know, he was having, um, there was something with his mental health, um, and then the cops uh, shot him in front of his mother. Yeah, and, recent. Uh, that was really recent, yeah, wasn't it? Recent. So, and I actually live not too far from where that happened, and it was just, you know, disturbing, especially because knowing mental health and how it's, I say, underrated is not, you know, looked into are promoted as as it should be to have the resolves that it needs to. For me personally, I remember I went to go live in Virginia with um, it's my family. Uh, one of my, my close friends I met in college, his family, they just took me in as their own son. So and they're they're white, uh, you know, so they let me come live with them so I could finish uh, school. Um, and I remember I had a job. I worked at Walmart. I was on my way home from work and, you know, I was going a little over the speed limit because I was in a rush to get home to uh, use the bathroom or or something. I I was just, you know, trying to get home a long day of work, ready to get home. I don't think I wasn't doing anything, maybe five, ten over. But the area that they lived in, you know, I remember the cop pulled me over and he asked me, what was I doing like around here? And I'm like, I live around here. He was like, uh, you live back here? And I'm like, uh, yes. I, and this is after I had already given him my ID and my registration, which if you know the area as this is your town, you should know that you see the address on my license that matches the registration that shows, OK, he knows where he's going. I could explain to the cop exactly with my eyes closed where I needed to go, what turns I needed to make, because it's second nature to get home. So. I'm thinking maybe I'm going to get, you know, a warning because I'm not doing anything, like I said, anything crazy. So I get a full ticket, you know, but I didn't really mind the ticket. I mind being questioned like I didn't belong in that neighborhood. Yeah. What are you doing here? Yeah. Like, you know, I wasn't a black man that that wouldn't have happened. 
in Philadelphia, I was going to the suburbs to my friend's house. My friend, he lived in the suburbs and I was going to his house one night, kind of late, maybe 11 or so. I'm driving there. I'm almost to my exit. I get pulled over and the cop asked, you know, have everything ready, hand them license, registration, everything. So then he asked, do you have anything in the car that I need to know about? Said, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, no. So if I get the dogs, if I get my canine dog, there's nothing that I need to know about that's in your car. Absolutely not. Like, but I don't appreciate being questioned like this. You know, so it's just like, hey, I, there's just this sense that I don't belong. I'm not equal, that I can't be here and just free flow here and go home. It's always, what are you doing here? You know, where are you headed exactly? There are questions that aren't asked to everybody. That was a question specifically for you. That wouldn't have been asked to, you know, Tommy, who was speeding or doing something that I wasn't supposed to. Right, right. I've seen things, you know, I've seen friends of different, you know, different nationalities and races do way more crazier things than, you know, me going 10 over in a car and, you know, it's just slap on the wrist. All right, we'll get you a tow truck and you're on your way. And me, I'm getting questioned for going to visit my friend. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. As a brain injury or a stroke survivor like myself, it's hard for me to get through reading books due to my injury. But with Audible, I can now enjoy as many books as I want just by listening. Thanks to Audible, I can listen to stroke survivor Kavita Bossi's book, Room 23. Once it popped up on Audible, I immediately put it on my wish list. Read Kavita's book with us. That's right. The Neuro Nerds have a book club. What a great way for our brain injury survivor community to read books together. And even if you don't want to read the book we're reading, with this free trial, you can select any book of your choice for free. Go to audibletrial.com slash the neuro nerd. Boom! Boom! Neuro <laughs> <laughs> nerds. Well, if you look at just what's happened recently and even just look visually, just the optics of the situations, look at the Black Lives Matter protests, because those were absolute protests and the military was there, which is weird, you know, in force weapons draw like it's these pictures are crazy. Now you have an actual attempted coup with armed Caucasians and there is no one in sight. And the people who were arrested or taken in, they were gently handcuffed. They were walked calmly down steps. It's a completely different picture. It's just not okay. How can anyone defend that? This is what's crazy. This has been going on forever. This is not new. This didn't just happen recently. The systemic racism in this country has just been going on forever. People are just seeing it now because of this beautiful thing in our hands. These phones, as I said it before, I'll say it like constantly, the revolution is being televised because all of these things that are happening, they're not going away. They're on the internet forever. These things that are being said, these things that are being done, people are outraged. And I really feel that all of this discomfort that's going on, all of this craziness that's going on in the world, I think real change is happening. Not just, well, we're going to talk about it for a little bit and then it's going to go back to the status quo. It's like, no, 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 no. There's going to be a new status quo. It's uncomfortable now, but I feel that everything that's going on is going to stick because these things aren't going anywhere. We can go back and look at the footage of George Floyd. We can go back and look at the footage of the attempted coup. That's not going anywhere. That's not, we can't just brush that off and say, yeah, but no, these are real things. So I really feel that real change is happening and that it's going to stick. Do you feel the same way? Do you have that same optimistic hope? Yeah, yeah, I do. Because like you said, because of technology, you know, there's so much more reach and connection before, you know, you could keep, it's strength in numbers. So we can, because we have the footage and we can connect through social media and, you know, through FaceTime and things like this, that we can stay united where before we didn't have the technology to be able to stay, you know, what happened in California, you know, was in California for East Coast kid. It's like, okay, I can't, can't imagine it. But now I can see it right on my phone. I can, you know, reach out to you and be like, hey, what's going on out there? And I can see it live because of, you know, if you have iPhone, iPhone, FaceTime and things like that. So I have that same sentiment that, you know, it's here to stay and here to be addressed. Also, because you see the big like, well, to tie sports into it, you see how the, the prominent athletes are using their platform 
to speak up on these issues. So I don't think it's going to die down that easy because there are prominent names in the black community that are stepping up and within all sports, just prominent figures, uh, not just sports, uh, entertainment, whatever industry there is, there's a prominent, you know, African-American figure speaking up about the injustices and is bringing awareness to, you know, to everybody too, so they can fully see what's going on. I definitely believe that, you know, through all this, we should see some change. Agreed. I love the fact that athletes have a platform. That's the one thing that I always kind of had an issue with that. Okay, so I'm older than you, right? I know you're looking at me you're like, Joe, you're like 18. No, I'm 43. So, <laughs> so I'm a Michael Jordan guy. That's my dude. That's that's the GOAT. People are like, oh, Kobe Bryant. It's like Kobe Bryant emulated every the way he walked, the way he talked after MJ. MJ is the guy. LeBron James, he's not that guy. He's amazing. He's great. Socially, LeBron James is kind of he's GOAT territory when it comes to what he's doing, what he's doing for the community, what he's doing with his school and the kids. It's just mind blowing. The biggest issue I think I have with MJ is the fact that he was so vanilla when it came to what does he stand for? What does he stand for? He didn't really stand for anything. And that generation of basketball players, they didn't really say anything because it's like, well, if I say this, I'm going to alienate these people, which they're not going to buy my shoes. They're not going to buy my jersey. And it's going to affect my wallet. That is unfortunate. You know, that's what I love about guys like I think Kyrie Irving's a little bit of a head case. But I do like the fact that he's fighting and that like he sees an issue and he wants to make change. I'm not a LeBron guy, but I love what he's doing personally. Like, I just I love it. And I think all athletes, I think all anybody in entertainment, anybody that has any type of platform, we have to talk about. Look, I'm just this dude with a brain injury that talks about nerdy stuff and and brain injury recovery. I have a platform to do so. I want to share and connect with the black community and give the black community a voice to share their ills, their issues, and just get people to understand, look, we're just all people here. Justice is justice no matter what your your age is, what color you are, what your sexual preference, what religion, no matter justice is justice. You know, fair is fair, right is right. And I think we're just looking for equal ground for everybody, you know, and that just hasn't been a thing for a very, very long time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I definitely have the same sentiment where we're just looking for a level, you know, play, we're looking for an even start, a level playing field. And in Moz is not that shouldn't be that difficult, but it's very more difficult than the brain processes. But, you know, I was brought up. I, I see people. I don't see color. Um, I don't see race, religion. Uh, I have friends of, you know, all colors, all religions. And, you know, I, I just see people. If you're a good, you know, uh, as we would say, a good vibe, you give me good energy, then it's reciprocated and it's a good connection. You're beneficial to me just by the energy that you bring. But, you know, if it's negative energy, that's what determines it for me, not race, not religion or uh, gender or anything like that. It's just if you're good. Good heart or a bad heart. Right. Look, if you're a good person, you're a good person. Like I always tell people, don't like me because of the like jerk that I am. Don't not like me just because of the jerk you think I am because I'm a Puerto Rican guy. Well, I don't like Puerto Ricans. You don't know me. Don't not like me because I'm Puerto Rican. Don't like me because I'm a dick. You know what I mean? Get to know me. Yeah. So it's funny about race. Nobody is born a bigot. Nobody. Nobody. It's it's a learned behavior. So what's really this is comedy. So in uh, elementary school, my mom broke out a picture and this changed the way that I thought about the world in junior high school. Broke out like some old elementary school pictures from when I, I lived in New York. And the class picture was a sea of pepper and one little speck of salt. My light skinned Puerto Rican face in that picture. And I looked and I was like, hey, ma, did I happen to go to an all black school? She's like, oh, yeah, you know, I went to school in Coney Island. And she's like, it was a like 90% of the school was black. And I was like, I had no idea. I remember all those kids. I didn't even think that, oh, wow, all these kids are black and I'm not. I didn't think that. I just knew all these kids are kids and we all go to this school. And I wish that energy, I wish that way of thinking just transfers into day-to-day life. You know, it doesn't matter that you're a black dude. It doesn't matter I'm a Puerto Rican guy. You know what I mean? We get along because we have a shared life experience and stroke and we also love basketball. On top of that, I think we're pretty cool dudes. <laughs> you know, good energy, good vibes. My experience was a little like reverse for like high school. So I went to a private school. So I, it was a lot of, 
you know, as you would say, uh, if we're using condiments uh, or seasoning, <laughs> and a speck of pepper, you know, a few few specks of pepper. But I never looked at it like that. It was just I saw people. I saw my friends. I saw my peers. I saw my teachers and my teammates. But I never saw a race. It was just, hey, okay, because we just all got along, you know, no matter what it was. And that's where, you know, I was always in environments like that. So to see how, I, you know, I couldn't even imagine, like, having a mindset like we see in the world today, that those ugly mindsets, I, I, I just, me as a person, I couldn't, I couldn't. I can't process. I try to get in people's heads a little bit like, oh, like, I, I, I always think about intent. Like, what were they thinking before they did that or before they said that? I don't understand. 100% it's it's foreign to me anything and everything that these people say and do because it just doesn't make any sense to me people are people you're either good or you're not you're either you're with us or you're against us and the people that are against us are just like I look I I'm against evil it was like I quote Tupac because I love Pac he said when you know I say us and them it's not black and white it's good versus evil right hate is evil you know, bigotry is evil. I don't fuck with that. I just, I can't, you know, I fancy myself a pretty good person, you know, and I like to surround myself with other good people. And I think the more people think that way, the better this world's going to be. Don't dislike somebody because of the way they look, dislike them because of the way they act, you know? Right, right. And the thing that like kind of irritates me when I, we talk, not we, but when I like there's conversations for one People can't have conversations is either right. I'm right. You're wrong. We can't sit down and see, you know, each other's sides. That's one. I mean, some things don't deserve that, you know, bigotry and, you know, things like that. It's like, OK, it's, it's wrong. Wrong is wrong. But then also when people try to justify wrong with another wrong, like, OK, why is Black Lives Matter happening? But there's black on black crime in your cities. And it's like. They don't correlate like they're both issues at the end of the day is they're they're both issues that need to be addressed. But just because there's, you know, black, quote unquote, black on black crime or, you know, it's just forecasted across the news more. So it, it, crime, you know, it happens with with all races. There, There's same race crimes in all, all races, but just black on black crime is you, it's just plastered all over the news. So then that's. I've had people who, because I, they see Philadelphia, what they see from Philadelphia on the news, they don't see the wonderful city that it could be, that it is. They see the violence. They see, you know, the murder rates. And, and, and it is rough sometimes, but Philadelphia does have some beautiful qualities. But my thing is you cannot negate what's going on. You can't negate a, a wrong with another wrong. Like, this isn't math. Like, this is not algebra wrong wrong and everything that's wrong needs to be addressed look if you're a white supremacist i'm sorry you're not a good person <laughs> there are no good people on that side there aren't certain things it's it's a non-starter you can't argue it wrong is absolutely wrong hatred you know inequality sexism all these things there's no argument just that's wrong that is black and white right there there's no argument oh, you know there's let's talk about all those good white supremacists <laughs> you know <laughs> and you know people try to justify it like even with like you know with with rape i'm not going into it too much but people you'll you'll see oh well she she wore this or gave me this sign but okay that doesn't you didn't get a yes just like you know black on black crime and, and, you know, police brutality, like, Hey, you know, nobody's asking, you know, for, for this and nobody wants to see this happening, but you can't compare the two, lump them together and say, okay, so you can't justify b police brutality against a black man because there's black on black crime happening like this. I mean, we just have to have conversations about everything as a whole to see what we can do to fix it. Not, try to just brush it. Oh, well, this happened. So let's brush this under the rug too. Like, no. Thanks to our sponsor, Avid Technology for providing us with the tools, or should I say pro tools to record, edit, and mix our podcast and get our message out clearly to the world. Try Avid first to start recording today for free at avid.com slash pro dash tools. Yay. Yay.
Two things could be true, you know, but also you're right. Like we have to be able to discuss things. Even if we disagree, we can respectfully disagree. You're a basketball dude. I'm sure we are going to respectfully disagree on so many things, you know, but it's just a disagreement. One thing we cannot respectfully disagree on is hate, is disrespect, is racism, sexism, respecting other people's religions and all of those things. That's just evil. I don't fuck with evil. I just don't. You know, so if you have those thoughts, if you have that in you, I'm sorry, just because you have these other things that kind of cancels that cancels everything out. You know what I mean? That's literally (laughs) it's like (laughs) I'm sure at some point, Jeffrey Dahmer, Stalin, Hitler, I'm sure they did something really nice. Maybe they walked an old person across the street. There's still Jeffrey Dahmer, Hitler, and Stalin. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's no argument that those are evil people. There's a line of evil and disgusting nature that just is inarguable. You just can't. On the other side, we can, as regular, normal, intelligent people, respectfully disagree. We can talk about politics, and we can disagree in politics, but I can't have a conversation with you about human beings Basically, if you're looking at another human being and not looking at them as a human being, I can't talk to you. I don't understand that way of thinking. It's backwards to me. I feel like I'm an evolved being and I feel like I'll be, I'd be talking to a Neanderthal. (laughs) Well, I don't like that person. Why do you like that person? Their skin is different color than I am. It's like, oh, okay. Well, this is a wheel. It's amazing. This is fire. (laughs) And when you master these things, life's going to be good. You fucking Neanderthal. It's just really weird to me. But so many people think that way and to be honest i think it's fear we don't know each other you're afraid of somebody because you don't know them let's talk to each other you know at the very beginning when this orange idiot tried to run this country in the ground his followers were so evil and they were so angry at everything and i had people my friend oh did you know so and so is an orange idiot supporter i can't talk to them anymore i was like no i don't think we should do that i think we should actually talk to them to understand where the divide is, you know, like if it's just politics, it's like, okay, you can find somebody who believes the same politics as you, who isn't an evil, disgusting person. You can do that, you know? And if you really feel all of those evil, disgusting things, why? Let's talk. Like, let's figure out where the disconnect is, because I think everybody, for the most part, wants some kind of peace. Why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I can't operate in anger. You know, I'll just shut down. Like, I can't, you know, I had a therapist is like, it's okay to be in touch with anger. I'm like, I know it's okay. But I just choose not to be angry. It takes too much energy to be, to be angry. So what I was interested in, I know it was a little more de- like trying to, during a pandemic and during, you know, these movements and things like that, just trying to recover and and heal like in the prime of it for me being like you know just so recent like did it impact you like mentally i know for me it was like it was like man it was hard the word i use constantly is heavy all of this is heavy i'm four years out i'm like a wily veteran you're like you know you're like the new kid (laughs) you know so it's it's just it's draining because every day even if you avoid it you can't really avoid it the air is thick there's just always some kind of weight and you kind of feel it like in your neck you're a little tighter you're you're not relaxed you know there's always some kind of discomfort going on so it's hard you know meditating every single day has been a huge help i have support from my significant other who's been amazing support from the community has been invaluable like if it wasn't for the community i'd be lost i really would be you know until i met my first survivor i was surviving that's all i wasn't living i was surviving and then once I started to meet other survivors, I was like, oh, I can do this. There's there's people. So it's been the community. It's been my family, you know, in, in Felice. And, and that's really helped me get through this. But the weight was tremendous. And talking about it like this, it alleviates some of that pressure. It like helps, you know, like the weight dissipates some at least. Yeah, yeah, I can agree. I mean, it was being fresh out, trying to find the balance of, Hey, I have to stay mentally locked in to take care of myself. Then go to, uh, you know, uh, see this stuff. I remember I was uh, down in Virginia. I was going from a relative's house to, they were about an hour apart to another relative's house. And I would get on these back roads and all I see is 
you know, Trump flags. And, you know, I immediately get uneasy. Like I have to, you know, hurry up and get to where I need to get to or get out of this neighborhood, you know, because who knows? And yeah, it was just like, you know, on top of, you know, me. All right. I'm like, I'm not a hundred. Well, I'm at my new a hundred percent, but if something happens, I don't know how well I could defend myself. I don't know how well I could attempt to get away. Something like like so you have thoughts like that, and it's like I made it to where I needed to get to, of course. But uh, to be thinking about that, you know, on top of trying to heal is just it's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, it's not right. It's not right. You know, there's a difference there. Other people could be mad. You had fear. We should not be afraid to go anywhere. We should, just like in basketball, right? You look at another team's jersey and you're like, man, that's terrible. You don't look at another team's jersey and be like, I have to get out of here. Like, like where are the exits? How quickly can I get there? It's a different feeling. It's so, it makes me so upset. It hurts my heart that people, man, humanity can suck sometimes, you know? It really can. But this is where I feel we're all going through the growing pains. It sucks right now. It's hard right now. A lot of things, like I feel disillusioned a lot, but I also have a lot of hope. And I think we should really hold on to hope because things are changing. Things are changing for the best. Georgia got flipped, which is really crazy. Now, this isn't just red and blue. This isn't just Democrats and this isn't just Republicans. This is about people. You know, the amount of black voters was the highest turnout ever. That's such a beautiful thing you know and honestly even if they were voting uh republican hey they're voting i think everybody should vote the majority wins and i think if everybody votes if the majority actually has their voices heard good is gonna win good is gonna win no matter what evil is loud but i think good will always triumph in the end and that's given me some kind of solace it's given me some kind of you know it's helped me breathe (laughs) it's helped me function yeah, I agree. Like like I said, I mean, this is what in basketball, I really, re- though I'm not a Warriors fan, I resonate with their slogan, strength in numbers. And like you said, when people, when good comes out and then comes out in droves and hives and it, it just outweighs the bad and outnumbers the bad. And that's where, you know, we have to come together and really sit down and hash out these conversations because I think we get to the root of this. Or if we don't get to the, we can make progress, at least in our lifetime. Hey, just like recovery, progress. You know, you're not going to get from the end to the beginning in one step. It takes steps, you know, so long as we're making forward progress. Sometimes we'll trip. Sometimes we'll fall down. We're always going to get up and we're going to constantly be moving forward, you know, and that's not just in recovery. It's in life. (laughs) If the more we do that, the better we're going to be as a people, as a group, as a collective, as a society. I'm on a soapbox now. I don't know how that happened. It just happened. (laughs) I think like we're in a society where we're afraid, like, you know, with trial and error, we're afraid to fail. My cousin, you know, he he always says this, like, you know, a person that's successful is just a very good failure. They fail, they process the process, and then they execute, they reevaluate and execute. So it's fail, reevaluate, and execute. Fail, reevaluate, execute. And that's what successful people do. They just master failing in a sense. So for me, it just became like, you know, when I... I was six months out and, I, you know, I thought I was a loner and I nobody could relate. And then you reached out and it was like, OK, it's, it's a lot of people out here that can relate to me. So made these connections and I've been in a great space and I haven't been. You can see the difference in my page since connecting with the community because I thought I had to just post, OK, I'm recovered and this is where I am. So now I go back through the journey and I'll show you where I failed, what I needed to work on, what I still need to work on. That's just my approach is just I'm not afraid to fail or show that I have failed before. If you look at my my social media page, I was afraid to show like, hey, I actually failed on this journey. I just wanted people to see, oh, this is where I am. But to really, really see my story, I'm like, I start going back once I connected with the community, like hey, they can relate. Because at first I'm like, man, I recovered so fast. Do I even belong in the community? Because I look normal. But I don't uh, you know, so you sound you sound like a normie. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so I was like, I look, you know, it was because of the looks that I got in public. Like I have a handicap placard because 
if my body gets fatigued, like my knee, my out, my I'll get what they call banana knee or, you know, my leg will hyperextend. So as I'm, you know, even my attending physician, he gave me a temporary one. I said, hey, doc, I go to the mall to walk around and sometimes I'm tired. So I think I need the permanent one. He was like, you're going to get better. I don't think you need it. And like, so people would just look at me in that regard. Like you made it this far, this quick, you're going to get better. Even when I get out the car and I'm walking normal, they're like, why did you take the handicap spot? And I'm like, listen, all right. So I had to get comfortable with myself and growing to be more vulnerable and showing the failures. And, you know, it's just been an amazing process. So I think that applies to life as well, because in class we're taught, hey, you have to get an 80 or 90 or 100 C or better. And it's like, hey, sometimes you have to get that F to truly learn, you know, and like, okay, I learned I learned from this. This is what I have to do. I can't study this way anymore because it's not beneficial. And that's like life where you have to Try something, go out on a whim. If you fail, you adjust and you you reevaluate and retry a different way. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. Your reviews help us grow and reach more listeners like you. Find us by searching for the NeuroNerds on the Apple Podcast app today. Adapt, adjust, and move forward. You know, it's the, the the definition of insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. It's like, nah, man, we're not crazy people. I did that. It didn't work. It's time to change. You know, same thing with me. I grew up a certain way and I was, okay, well, I can't do this and I can do this. So it's like, no, we can do anything if we choose to, you know, getting out of the hospital. I had to use a damn cane. I don't want that damn cane. <laughs> I busted my ass so I didn't have to use that damn cane. Whereas before I would just be like, well, I guess this is, you know, this is life. Like, no, I changed the way that I thought I accepted, which is really hard acceptance, accepted that I needed the cane. And then like, I did everything to not use that damn cane ever again. But, but I love what you said about, you know, like all these people who are doing their profession, like they, they're losers. They lost a lot. You know, they, they were excellent at losing, but they didn't keep doing that. They didn't make the same mistakes. That's the thing. You are allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to fail. Just don't do the same things over and over and over again. Just, just don't learn from your mistake. If you touch a fire, <laughs> you can burn yourself. That was a mistake. If you continue to touch that fire, like, all right, well, you know what's going to happen. Why don't you do something different? You know, and I think in recovery, I think we've all done something different. And we're on Clubhouse, which is actually a really cool, you know, platform where we talk with other survivors. And, and you said something you gave me like the, the nicest compliment. You actually honestly brought a tear to my eye. I'm a grown ass man. I'm in touch with my feelings, whatever. Where, you know, I didn't know that I helped connect with a community like that. I didn't. That really warmed my heart. And it really, I appreciate those kind words. And it did so much for me because I know what it's like to feel isolated and alone. I never want anybody to feel that. So that's why I'm constantly like, hey, let me see who I can find and let's connect and let's do this. Let's do that. And the fact that like I had that impact, that really means the world to me, you know, and and I I, re I really appreciate you saying the, those kind words uh, on our clubhouse room thing that we were doing. That was real cool. Yeah, so I'll fill them in. Like, you know, for me, uh, when I first came home, like like I said, that's first six months I was in denial. Like, I couldn't even say I had a stroke. Like, I'm like, oh, I had a bleed from a cavernous malformation. Like, people are like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it was just a bleed. Like, you know, it's, it's all right. Like, just because I couldn't say it. Like, I was just in such denial, I couldn't say the word. And Bro, I, I feel that 100%. I'm the same way. Almost a full year before I actually uttered the words, I had a stroke. Mm -hmm. I know my family, they were, you know, they were trying, they were there. That means the world. But to have somebody completely understand that what you went through, the experience, how you may be feeling, you know, I, I didn't know. Because I'm like, I'm thinking I'm the youngest person that this happened to. So then... You, you introduced me to the community and it's just like, you know, I started getting more comfortable within myself and start posting different things. And people are reaching out to me like, hey, you're my hero and things like that. And I'm like, oh, what? Like, you know, it's just like, wow, like just me, I'm like little me. I'm, somebody's looking at me as a source of inspiration and damn right. I keep doing what I, what I, that's why I keep posting and joining the, the communities to show like, Hey, you know, I know it, it may be intimidating to see me like, Oh, he's a year out and he made it that fast. But I tell people, Hey, your journey is your journey. I was just 
designed to, you know, I was blessed in America to have recovered in, in a year. I still have, I'm going to therapy tomorrow morning. So I have the tremor with my left hand and when my arm gets tired, like, so I still have trouble writing. I still have double vision. So I'm still working through things, but, you know, I just want to inspire people like, hey, you know, it's be comfortable with your situation, be comfortable with who you are. You're going to grow into something beautiful. I got it quicker, but I want to show people that like, hey, you know, your mind is is the biggest part of this. If you positively think about yourself and accept your situation, don't compare yourself to the next survivor. It's like, hey, you are in your journey and we're here to support you. No, you can't run, but you better be damn sure. Like if I see you attempting, I'm going to clap it up for you. Like, hey, good attempt for trying to run. Like, you know, if I could be there physically to help you or I have any tools to help you learn to run, then I'm going to give you what I what I was given and say, hey, I'm not a doctor, but this is what I did. And, you know, to help people. So I feel that's why I was given a second chance and I'm the miracle that I am. And I take it very serious to you know, be active since I was given, presented this opportunity to be a part of the community. Yes. See, look, th- this is like, this is why we get along. We have the same same mindset. And you are actually becoming one of those beacon of lights, one of those pillars in the community that people look up to. That's a big deal. I tell everybody we have to share because you never know who's watching, who's listening. We share. Yes, it's great for us to get it out there. It's nice to just get it off our shoulders and just put it out there. It's even better for those out there to see us because they're like, wow, it can be done. You know, and as for, you know, oh, they look at me. I look so normal. It's like, yeah, everybody's your trauma is your trauma is your trauma. You know, it's not any better. It's not any worse than anybody's. We were on a clubhouse room and that one one woman said that, you know, oh, yeah, I just had a, a little stroke. You know, it wasn't very serious. It's like there's no such thing. So her trauma is just as bad as ours. It's not better. It's not worse. It's her trauma so we shouldn't feel bad about well my brain injury wasn't as bad as yours no but it's bad it's traumatic to us you know so when it comes to like comparing you can't compare because we are all different we all go through different things there are people who have had their bodies decimated from a stroke and they're the most positive happy-go-lucky people in the world you know i follow a lady on on instagram and like her energy and just and uh, I follow two people. Uh, one of her, she's from Nigeria. Her name is Anna. And she, Anna! Anna, Anna, like, I, I look at her page and it's just like, if I'm having a rough day, I can go to Anna's page and just be like, energy, like, and just her energy rubs off. And then I know another lady, you know, she doesn't have the function of her left hand, but she's on, uh, she, you know, she just, it's her energy. She's on Instagram singing and, uh, just providing light and it's like hey you know they can do it i know i can you know and it's like i can do it so i love Anna. i'm gonna meet Anna one day and we're gonna dance yeah. i always tell her all the time i was like when we meet we we are gonna dance i love her so much she's the most positive human being in the world you know and she has issues with one of her sides and every single day she fights she pushes she'll fail She'll keep on going. Here's the thing. The greatest thing I've ever heard is from the greatest man I've ever known, which is uh, Felice's father, my father-in-law. And he said, you will never fail if you continue to try. That resonates with me so much. We don't fail. We have hiccups. We have time. And they're not even setbacks. They're little hiccups. You know, they're little stumbles in the road. And we still keep moving forward because that's what we do. Our community, we're part of the greatest, most loving, caring, amazing community in the world. And we are fighters. We're warriors. And, you know, we are beacons of light for everybody, not just the brain injury community, you know? And I just want to say, I appreciate the absolute fuck <laughs> out of you, your energy, and your mindset. It's it's a big deal, and it's really great to see another male. And it's actually just great to talk to another male in the community who's willing to talk and be vulnerable and actually share these things. And I love that. And I love that you're not just sharing the successes, that you're also sharing, you know, the hiccups, because that's a big deal. It is. It definitely is. You got, you know, I, I tell people the lowest of the lows and they seen the lowest of the lows. I felt it was my duty to show them me at my worst and then what I got to from where I was. So I'm a believer. A story is meant to be told. So my whole thought process was that if my story could just impact one person, then I've done my job. And then who knows if it branches out, but I've clearly impacted more than one person. But my job is to continue to do that. It brings me joy and 
I don't mind, you know, I have nothing to hide. I don't feel like why people is, I think it's a social media age and not wanting to show, just wanting to show perfection. But, you know, life is not perfect and we need to hear these stories in order for people to know, okay, I've seen this experience before. Let me try this. Or, you know, let me reach out to this person because they've experienced this. So let me reach out and, and see. And that's how we connect. And I think we we lose that through, you know, just the technology interaction and wanting to show perfection. So I'm not afraid to share my story. And and that's why it resonates with people. And that's why you are literally becoming a beacon of light and an inspiration in our community. And I appreciate that. Once again, the absolute fuck out of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, time man, I appreciate you so much. Like, really, thank you for coming on. I would absolutely love to do a live sometime this month and get a little deeper into Black History Month and and talking a little bit more about about your stories and and interactions. If you are up for that, I'm I'm up for that. Maybe you can even take it a step further and try to. Maybe I had to come out to California if it, if it's safe, homie. My door is always open for you always you come down to cali oh my i would i would lose it of course socially safe because we we respect one another here we're all we all live in a society we're not covidiots over here we're very bright humble human beings <laughs> but yeah no that would be absolutely amazing you know oh let me ask your nerdum real quick because we are the neuro nerds what kind of so me marvel nerd comic book nerd you know i'm like a star wars nerd I have star wars tattoos i'm wearing a star wars shirt for god's sakes what would you say your nerdum is I say my nerdum is two things. Uh, I'm a 90s cartoon-like nerd, so, uh, you know, Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon. Yes, um, sir. I'm actually, I actually have an appointment tomorrow with my, no, Saturday with my tattoo artist to do a, a 90s cartoon theme. So that's that's one of my nerdums. And then cooking is my nerdum. Me and my wife watch Chopped, and uh, so I like to cook a lot. So, and it's good therapy for me. So those are my two Nerd of 90s cartoons and cooking. That is, dude, I already thank the world of you. So I'm just saying, like, you you just jumped up even higher. I don't know how that's possible. That's dope. All right, Ty, let the people know where they can follow you. So everybody can follow me. I updated my, um, well, Tommy Calkins on, on Facebook. That's T-Y-M-I-A-K. Uh, doesn't sound how it's spelled, but Tommy Calkins on Facebook uh, at to the T. So T-W-O-T-H-E-T 2.0 on Instagram. And then I have a To The T Foundation. So it's the number two, T-H-E-T underscore foundation on Instagram. And we're working on all that stuff. So we're working on some big things for 2021. Beautiful. And you can find all of those links in our show notes. And uh, speak, so you can follow us. You actually, you can follow Lauren at Lauren El Manzano on Instagram. You can follow me at Joe So Rocks on all the socials. You can follow us, the Neuro Nerds, everywhere. Hey, and on this amazing special first episode, wait, how, how would I say it? This is our, our first episode in February for Black History Month with this amazing rock star, warrior, king, Ty, T to the two. Wait, T to the two? Does anybody got that right? Two to the T. Two to the T. <laughs> hey, I can say I had a brain injury. I'm not sure if I mentioned in the last like six minutes, but yeah. <laughs> so definitely follow Ty. He's becoming honestly he an inspiration uh, to me with the how hard this dude works, with the amazing energy this guy has. Reach out to him, connect. This has been awesome. I appreciate the absolute fuck out of you, my friend. And on that weird Joe is cursing a lot for some strange reason. Note this neuro nerd is out. Perfect, dude. That was awesome. That was awesome. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.